Support for An Honest Account comes from Moneybox, the award-winning app helping people save and invest for their future. Moneybox allows you to invest with your spare change, from your morning coffee to your bus fare, rounded up to the nearest pound. Moneybox offers a range of savings and investment accounts and makes it super easy to use. All you do is sign up in minutes and get started with just one pound. Join over 200,000 people saving and investing for their future with Moneybox. You can download the app today or head to moneyboxapp.com for more details. Please remember that with all investing, your capital is at risk. And thank you to Moneybox. an honest account, a podcast about how money affects our lives, our work, health, relationships and more. I'm Rachel Revis and today I'm talking to Anna Codrea Rado, the journalist and entrepreneur who launched FJ & Co, a platform for freelancers. Freelancing is definitely on the rise because the number of women working for themselves since the 1980s has increased by over 150%. Anna and I talked about her experience of being made redundant, her best money tips, and how she says being freelance can be even more lucrative than a desk job. I warned you I might start this way, but since I'm feeling quite rubbish, as you can hear, that brings me on to the fact that as fellow freelancers, we don't have sick pay and it can be a rather fragile economy. So when we should be Netflix and chilling, we're working. So what's your typical response to that? Um, I think, well, I mean, in I think there's two responses. I think in the moment of being sick, I think it's absolutely fine to complain about the fact that Good, it, really, it really sucks <laughs> to be sick as a freelancer. Um, but if I were to put kind of my, um, like, championing freelancers hat on, I'd say that um, it's just super important to kind of, when you're thinking bigger picture, to think about that you may get sick. And I say that as someone who got really sick last summer and had to take the best part of a month off. And that was just horrendous. And now it's kind of really drilled into me that I have a pot of, I sort of have a savings account that's specifically for disaster situations or sickness. So basically kind of like building your own benefits package as a freelancer. Mm, that's a good way to look mm. at it. But even when I'm perfectly well, which is luckily is most of the time, I do feel guilt. So can you talk to me a bit about how you set boundaries when you work for yourself as more and more of us are? Because ever since high school, if I'm not doing something deemed productive, I feel guilty and it needs to stop. Yeah, that's a really big one. I was actually reflecting on this this morning that I've been freelance now for over two years. And only in the last few months, I would say, I've noticed that I've stopped waking up and my first thought just being a wave of guilt hitting me. But I, I definitely have had that and I still have it a little bit. And it's, I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that, I mean, I, when I graduated, it was right in the middle of the last recession. Here, there's another one coming our way. Um, <laughs> and everything was, a you know, there was just this big emphasis on you must get a job and the job is the be all and end all. And freelancing was only ever kind of positioned as an alternative, as, as something that if you couldn't get a job, you had to fall back on. It was never something that you would possibly go out and do. And 
I was I very much was given the impression that work had to look and had to look a real really particular way and only certain kinds of jobs were considered quote-unquote good and so as I started going through my career and I realized that you know things like I just didn't feel comfortable in offices they just didn't work for me or working in certain ways just didn't suit me I internalized all of that and thought it was my fault and I think that's where a lot of the guilt comes from because I think what I've been doing for the most of these last two like two and a half years is just trying to undo a lot of the really bad habits that I picked up from the traditional work environment um because you didn't realize that the office life didn't suit you or why it didn't suit you at the time it's something you've came to realize later yeah it's well I realized that the office environment didn't suit me pretty early on but I just didn't on th- didn't even think there was a possibility that you didn't you could have a good career outside of an office or mm-hmm. I thought that I would maybe one day I remember I used to kind of think that like maybe one day I'll be able to work for someone who I you know really paid my dues and they'll let me work from home two days a week uh, that was kind of to me I thought that would be sort of like hitting the big time but yeah because I think I, I definitely tangled in my mind that having a career meant having an office job And I wasn't able to separate those two things out. Um, But yeah, now that I work for myself and I can work on my own terms, um, I'm just, uh, I just try to structure my days in in a way that just works for me. So I'm someone who just, I work better in the morning. So I wake up and I'll just do loads of work in the morning. And then I'm really strict about I won't take calls before lunchtime. I'm trying really hard to... um, not let my emails my inbox kind of dictate my life which is why I don't ever I'm really bad at no I'm not really bad at replying to emails I'm trying to only reply to emails in at certain times and you use Calendly which is great yes I use Calendly which is um this great way that you can book in people can kind of book in meetings with your Mm. calls and stuff it's really helpful um I think when I come back from holiday I'm going to pretty much put a permanent out of not a permanent out of office but I think I'm going to put out of office an auto reply on my emails so to set people's expectations Mm. um because I feel like with my inbox, I'm doing a lot of work on my end to draw boundaries around it, but I'm not communicating those boundaries to other people. Yes. Okay. So Another thing I wanted to ask you was that there's been a lot of talk of how to monetize your hobbies, how to monetize your side hustle. And then there was a bit of a backlash, like actually not everything we, need, we do needs to be for money purposes. And I'm kind of in limbo with that. I realized the other day, I don't really have any what you class as traditional hobbies because so much of what I do now is related to work in some way. And when I worked nine to five with those boundaries, I had the money and the time to have hobbies. So how do we deal with that? It's such a tricky one. Um, I think it's so important to have a few hobbies that you just don't do, you don't monetize at all. For me, it's drawing. So I've got, you can, I've got some doodles that I make, I make them as little cards and I would never, um, I would, you don't have to agree, but like I'm not (laughs) the world, I'm not the worst drawer, but I would absolutely never consider opening an Etsy shop and trying to sell cards on Etsy because the drawing is very much for me and it's also there's something particularly about drawing where it has I don't want it to have anything to do with the screen if I try to monetize it I would have to engage with screens whilst doing it and it's specifically something that's very analog Um, but it's, it's what's really difficult is that 
you kind of start, especially when you're a freelancer, you start moving through the world and seeing everything as a, as a kind of commercial opportunity. Exactly. And it can be really hard because you do need that to a certain extent. You need that in order to be able to turn some things into a possible revenue stream. So it is really important to have multiple revenue streams and to have a diverse range of ways that you make money. But at the same time, you do need to find a way to have a really hard line between like what is like what is work like the, the the lines between work and leisure are so blurred anyway so i think it's really important to draw a hard line between this is a thing that i only do for me and this is a thing that i do for money and is part of my career um not least because your career shouldn't be your whole identity and that's something i think about a lot especially someone who i'm a freelancer and i'm also become I'm also kind of known as a freelancer who talks about freelancing and there are more there are more aspects to my personality and like me as a person beyond like Anna the freelancer so it's um yeah but it's a really tricky one and and I think also I mean I find it I what I find fascinating are people who do have full-time jobs and then um monetize their hobbies and have a side hustle because they in theory don't need to do that for money i mean some people some people aren't some people are doing some people have second jobs because they are kind of um their full-time job is not making they're not making enough money Mm -hmm. from it but i'm talking about people who have full-time jobs that pay a decent wage and then between the hours of 5 p.m and 9 p.m have a side hustle admirable yeah and it's really interesting to me because it kind of sends gives kind of gives this idea that um unless unless there's a commercial value to what you're doing then we don't value it um and you have mentioned uh, i think it was on your podcast you know that freelancing can be more lucrative does this apply to your life or is this a general comment um i have found that um it's take so i'm now coming up to uh i'm sort of in my kind of like third financial year of freelancing and by this point, I am now making more money than I would do in an equivalent job in-house and more money than I have done in, when I was working in-house. Uh, that's not to say it's, I mean, it, it's also not easy to do that at all. I, I, I work a lot harder than I did when I worked in-house and I do lots of different things. And, and I do find it, it's quite difficult. I kind of caution against comparing like for like because freelancing and working for yourself versus working in-house they're so different on so many levels it's even difficult just to do a like-for-like comparison on salary because there are so many other factors going back to what we first talking about you know the lack of sick pay that's one of them you you kind of you you have to earn more as a freelancer because you need to take into account that if you do get sick um when you have made more money that money will be used to pay for the fact that you're taking you know taking days off so um and also the way I think about it, I had a, I had a conversation with someone when I first went freelance who worked in house, and I was telling them about you know all the things I was doing, and at the time I had got my first byline in the New York Times, and I was really proud of it. And we were talking, and they're also journalists as well, and they were like, yeah, yeah, that's all well and good, Anna, but when are you you know when are you going to get uh, not not when are you going to get a real job, but when are you going to get a staff job? And I said, well, I'm, I don't want to get a staff job because, you know, I'm just t- listed off all of these great things I'm How doing. How supportive of hey, this yeah, person. Yeah. Um, has, it was a man, I have to say it was a man. Um, and anyway, but then he got, to his, he got to the point that he was trying to make. He said, oh, yeah, but you're never going to earn as much freelance as you would in-house. And I kind of said, well, no, I just fundamentally disagree because I don't see an, 
ceiling to your earnings when you're freelance. If you work in-house, you can't... There's usually a, there's usually a pay bracket or, you know, at least, you're, you know, very, at the very least, your boss isn't going to give you more money than they're making. So when you're freelance, in theory, you could be making loads of money if you set your mind to it. And there are plenty of freelancers out there who are um, making a very healthy income. Yes, I'm sure there yeah. are. Do you have any tips on negotiating especially when in our industry and probably others freelancing a lot of it is who you know and relationships that you build and it's a very delicate dance between asking for more and ruining that relationship so what what have you learned in the past few years i've learned quite a few things on the the most important thing i have learned is i have never asked for more money and been told no and now you can't have this opportunity more often than not the editor, or if it's a corporate client, less so with corporate clients because they do always have more money. With editors, they're really embarrassed that they can't give you more. Most, any good editor is knows that the rates aren't high enough and knows that freelancing is hard and that they should be paying their freelancers more. And where they can, they will, but they, you know, sometimes they just really can't. Uh, and we know that, you know, magazines have really tight budgets and that so do newspapers and we're seeing so many kind of so many closures of magazines and sort of print print edit well print editions of magazines and also print editions of um of papers as well so more often than not it's because the money's not there and i haven't i don't think or if i have i'm not aware of it i've i've never burned a bridge by asking for more money although i have heard horror stories but they're more in america about asking for more money and then people just saying, ghosting you. Because you have to think about, I guess, supply and demand. Like, we're all, to a certain extent, we're all replaceable. Depends where the power lies. It it does. But we're also, I also really believe that no one, no one is going to give, no one's going to pitch the exact same idea that I have in the exact same way with, no one can, no one can be me. And, yeah, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, today, and we were just talking when you first got here about the Caroline Conway essay that's been... Go- is that her name? Calloway. Caroline. Caroline Calloway. Um, <laughs> the influencer. The influencer. Um, has been going around, and there have been so many takes on it. This is... The, yeah, so just to explain, this was the essay in the cut about Natalie Beach, who was her ghostwriter, right, basically exposing this influencer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there have been so many hot takes on this. Each one adds something else to the conversation. It's not... I mean, there, there will be a point where we have reached saturation about how many hot takes we need to hear on this particular situation or any situation. But the point is, is that there are lots of opportunities for everyone's voice to be heard. Um, but yeah, when it comes to the pay thing, I think I think it really also just does come down to how you ask and what you're asking for. Because if you're saying... Um, I am asking for more money because I'm an experienced reporter. This assignment that you've asked me to do is really involved. It's going to take me more time than a typical feature or the word count is longer or whatever it might be or I need to travel somewhere. Whatever, if you have reasons why you're asking for more money, there's no re- there's, the editor shouldn't be ghosting you. That's just a real lack of professionalism on their part. If you're just asking for an obscene amount of money just because someone's told you just to negotiate for the sake of it, then yeah, maybe maybe in that case... Um, Pushing it a bit, yeah. yeah. Okay. So what's the biggest money lesson you've learned? Because I read your article about 
freelancers and having pensions and that's something I've only come to myself recently really important don't forget you don't have a pension anymore um but is there anything else that you think is well you mentioned having an emergency fund so that's really important I think all of it really comes down to this idea that you have to completely rethink your attitude towards your to what towards what a salary and what a benefits package looks like as a freelancer and the way I think about it pensions one is actually a really good idea is actually a really good example because I have I have a bit of a I think an unpopular opinion about the whole pension thing which is that employers aren't giving pensions to their employees out of the goodness of their hearts they're giving them because the government's making them and the there is regulation that say that employers have to provide pensions freelancers aren't taking out pensions because no one is forcing them to take out pensions. And a freelancer is the employee and the boss at the same time. I think there should be regulations that force freelancers to take out their own pensions. Um, In absence of that, I think freelancers should be taking, just thinking more about all of the kind of big financial stuff and making an emergency fund, sorting out their own pensions, thinking about their sick pay. That's not to say that things don't need to change and that the situation is not, I don't think the situation is right or fair at all, especially in regards to maternity pay and how um, if you work for yourself, what you'd get in terms of a maternity allowance is nowhere near what you would get if you work for a company. And I don't, I think that if you choose to have a baby it's kind of should be agnostic of how you choose to work what kind of benefits you get but until that changes it does fall on individual freelancers to figure something out and part of why being freelancer is so difficult is because you do have to take all of that on Mm -hmm. rather than just kind of think about it as oh this is really hard and we don't get pensions so therefore I'm not going to pay into a pension I think the way to think about it is this is really difficult and we don't have these things. How can I protect myself? How can I put myself in the best possible position that's going to make my life a bit easier and maybe one day put me on the path towards financial freedom or kind of mm-hmm. having to not work for the rest of my life? Because there are, you know, like it's not, it's definitely not easy, but there are things you can do to help yourself. Can we just go back to the, the gender side of it for a minute? Because once a corporate client when he found out I was freelance said oh were you pushed or were you shoved I was a bit irritated by that question because it does as you said there's assumptions and I said no I chose to do it and that's true but then I did think was I pushed a bit are more and more women being pushed out of the workforce that's a valid question so are a lot more women coming into this Uh, and you also said that your biggest regret was not choosing to do it not choosing to be freelance because you were made redundant uh, yes, so there, women are being pushed out of traditional employment into freelancing, and that that is that is terrible. That it, freelancing is something that you should choose to do because it is difficult. It does not suit everyone. It's it's not a get rich quick get rich quick scheme at all. It can be lonely. It can be hard. All of these things, and I would absolutely never tell anyone to quit their job to freelance as some kind of silver bullet. People who do say stuff like that shouldn't um Mm. and there is data that shows um that the rise in freelancing is being driven by women um so ipsy which is the association for the um self-employed and independent professionals they did a big piece of research um earlier this year that found 
the U- so it's known that there is a rise in freelancing in the UK, but they found that actually it's women who are driving it, and in particular working mothers and highly skilled women. I wrote a piece for Refinery29 about this, and a lot of the women I spoke to said that they were pushed out of their jobs. Most of them who said they were pushed out of their jobs were um, mothers or expectant mothers. And they told me that as soon as they told their bosses they were pregnant, that's kind of, there was sort of a different track that they were starting to be kind of side sidelined to. And so many of them chose to quit their jobs and go freelance. That is being for, that is being pushed into going freelance. Um, I lost, I went freelance because I lost my job and I, and I lost it in quite sort of, you know, I, I, it was a very sudden thing. So I lost my job on a Friday and it was effective immediate and it wasn't really clear what my redundancy package situation would be. So I went freelance partly because I had been, I had really been thinking about it for a long time. And all of those things that I was saying to you earlier about, you know, not enjoying working in an office, I suspected that freelancing would suit me, but I was always way too scared to take the leap. And I am, have nothing but admiration for people who were, who are brave enough to do it because I, I didn't come to this sort of having done the leap myself. I did it because uh, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to kind of make money. So, yeah, I and and lots of journalists come to it like that. For me, it has it's been great because it's worked out and that's good. But I know other journalists who went freelance because they lost their jobs when I did, and it hasn't worked out that well for them. And um, yeah, it's it's really really hard. But what I find more interesting in regards to the gender thing is that. There are women who don't have kids who also don't feel like the work, the traditional work environment suits them. And I count myself among that. Same, yeah. Yeah. And those women are also going freelance and they're finding that working for themselves is more empowering, more fulfilling, in some cases more lucrative. Less politics. Less politics. Um, less of the kind of insidious microaggression, gender-based mm-hmm. microaggressions that you get in most workplaces. So, you know, I've worked in places where... The security guard was always telling me to smile and, um, you know, in newsrooms where it felt like if you were a man, you'd get to go and cover the sort of the hard news, the protests and that kind of thing. And the women sort of were either, you know, there's this kind of misconception that women gravitate towards lifestyle content. I don't think they do. I think it's kind of, um, that's just, there's just an assumption there. Um, And yeah, it's... It's, it's just, it's really hard being a woman in the traditional workplace. It still is, you know, it's, it's, we're nearly in 2020 and it still sucks to be a woman. Some well, of it is yeah. medieval. We talk about the whole pregnancy thing. You think it's unbelievable, it's still happening. Yeah. I do know a few people, obviously not everyone listening to this is a journalist, but I do know a few people in, in my field who are constantly thinking, I might just go freelance. And I always say, well, it took me, it's still taking me a while to find my stride. It's been two and a half years. But every year I learn more and I, I earn more because I think your confidence goes up and your experience goes up. But what was that like for you and what advice would you give to anyone essentially who's making a considered decision to leave? I think the most important question you have to ask is, are you being 
pulled to freelancing or are you being pushed from your current situation? Because if you're being pushed from your current situation, the answer might not be to go freelance. So I've had, because I, I get loads, lots of people asking me for kind of freelance advice and I have a lot of people come to me in a panic because their job situation is, is not working out for them and they, they want to go freelance. But when you kind of probe into the issue, it's that their job situation isn't working for them. And actually when you get them talking, it sounds like they don't actually want to go freelance, but they just want to leave their job. Um, in that case, freelancing might not be the answer. But if if you're kind of like how I was before I actually ended up going freelance, which is that you just kind of feel that there are aspects of freelancing that really speak to you, then, yeah, that in that case, be brave enough to take the leap. I mean, I also will give the kind of very sensible advice of, you know, build a financial cushion and kind of start taking baby steps. So if you're currently a journalist and you want to go freelance, maybe start, if if your contract allows, maybe start freelancing for a couple of other places. Definitely don't burn any bridges in your current, in your current workplace because they will be the first people who give you your assignments. Uh, and yeah, there are little steps you can take to essentially kind of do a bit of part-time freelancing alongside your job and to kind of, well, it will give you a sense of what it's like it will also give you a sense of what it's like to not receive um, payment <laughs> that quickly. Mm. Uh, although it never it never stings as badly when you when you already have a job when you get late payment. So late a very from. neat segue when you mentioned late payment into your fair pay campaign, which you launched in February, mm-hmm. um, which was great. It was really needed, and you did that open letter signed by a lot of people for editors, um, well, for the industry to improve basically on how journalists are paid but I think that has wider repercussions for anyone who's self-employed because we all know that contractors etc can be screwed over so tell me a little bit about that campaign so yeah the fair pay for freelancers campaign I launched it in February and it's something I've been thinking about pretty much you know as soon as I went freelance that being being self-employed you you're vulnerable to so many payment-based issues in journalism in particular, the big things are not only do clients or publications pay you on quite lengthy terms and then if, they're, if they are overdue on payment, they will disregard the fact that there is a law that protects you against late payments and you are entitled to a late payment fee. But I have found that late payment fees, at best, they encourage speedy payment. Yes. At worst, you sever a relationship. Yeah. I've met few and far I've not met very many people who've actually got that fee paid. So yeah, that was kind of, that was one big thing. And then also something, the quirk that's particular to the journalism industry is being paid on publication. So you get a commission and then you can't even invoice until the thing has been published. And And um, they never tell you when. They never tell you when and they'll push back. I'm working on a piece right now that got commissioned in in July and it looks like it won't even run till October. And and I've had had situations where I've, it's been basically a year between publication and and between the commission and the publication. And, um, And it's really hard, you know, like I, I don't understand, you know, there are other industries where, the sums of money are even smaller. I, got, I went to get my nails done by a freelance nail artist and she asked me for a £20 deposit. But of course, it makes sense. Why wouldn't she? Because, um, you know, what if I don't show up to the appointment and she's blocked out that time and that's that's I want money. to look at your nails now. Look how great they are. They're so got cool. Mo- got moons on them. That's awesome. Um, but... Anyway, that got me. That actually got me thinking about how the problem is. Is that's re- that made me really realise it's a power dynamic because I'm a consumer talking direct to 
a service provider and when she tells me I, I needed I want you to pay deposit of course that makes sense to me and I'm happy to do it but as freelance journalists we're talking to big organizations the power dynamic is complete it's just we're not on the same level at all if they tell us if we said to them could you pay me a deposit for this article they would say absolutely no way so I just knocked up this letter on Google Docs um, and there were three very clear asks in it. One was an end payment publication. One was respect of late payment fees, um, which basically what I'm asking is, can you just please respect the law that exists? Um, And one was update antiquated um, or not fit for purpose financial um, payment systems. Uh, And it got a really great response. It had um, thousands of, of people signed it including editors and um, it started getting some attention from sort of media um, bodies so kind of groups that look after the interests of journalists it got a little pickup in some press um, and I have been having because you know now we're in September I've been having kind of quite a lot of conversations with various people about how to take the campaign forward and how to keep pushing it because it's great that it's had so much support and um, I'm still very much, you know, it's still an open letter. People can still continue to sign it. But what I really want now is for editors to actually do something about it. So I'm working quite hard on that at the moment. Um, But unfortunately, these practices are so entrenched and they've been around for so long that there isn't, you know, there's definitely no overnight no, there's nothing. You know, there's not, it's not. This is not something that's going to kind of change overnight. But I think we are kind of. We will get there eventually. I mean, things like the pay gap reporting only came in two years ago. We won't have ethnicity pay gap reporting until 2021. As you said, people are getting women are getting pregnant and being turfed out. Like there's so much to fix, <laughs> and it's all related to money and work. But it sounds like there's exciting plans ahead for yeah, your yeah. No, campaign. So. Yeah, there are. There are. Um, and yeah, all of it comes back to money. All of the problems come back to money. I kind of, I feel that after, if I can make some headway with this, um, I would love to also start thinking about the maternity pay issue for freelancers as well, because yeah. that is, um, that's a really big problem. Um, that's something I do wonder, how do you work for yourself and, you know, be pregnant with all the, the issues that that could bring and then have a child I just my hat goes off yeah <laughs> is that the phrase I take my hat off to yeah. these people I don't know how they do it just taking a slight tangent I remember you discussed um productivity on your podcast with Tiffany Philippou and you mentioned that you always wear white black and gray and I can verify you are wearing <laughs> all black today and I admire that and it's like your individual way of being productive but you also talked about how people shouldn't be productive for the sake of it and you should be more focused on your goals as i got busier i realized how important it is to have more focus because especially when you're freelance you can end up working all the hours in the day and it's just not healthy back to the conversation we're having about boundaries so um i think it it can be really hard to know what you're doing why you're doing it and you know you can it can even be really no one's ever stopped us stopped and asked us but why do you actually enjoy being a journalist and what is it about journalism that you like doing and actually if you answer that question you might find some really surprising answers it's how I've ended up doing um it's how I've ended up even like doing my own podcast and doing events because I've actually figured out that it's the talking to other people and the interviewing and kind of 
the more kind of service-based journalism where you're actually kind of helping people like that's the stuff that I enjoy way more rather than when I worked for companies rather rather than when I worked in-house at media organizations and I thought I just wanted to be a journalist because I just wanted to be able to say that I'm a guardian journalist or I work for Vice or all that kind of stuff and I um, now looking back on it like no wonder I wasn't always that happy because I hadn't actually found the thing that was really kind of firing me up but yeah, I mean, that's something, it's really something I've learned so much from Tiffany, my podcast co-host, because she has this whole thing. She just, she's always asking, you know, what's your why? And like, what's your purpose? Like, why is it that you're doing this? Like, and, you know, figure out like why you actually want to do something. Um, and it sounds really woo-woo, but it's almost, it would really behoove a lot of people to write kind of like a personal mission statement or a sort of a guiding principle you know just just be really clear on why you do things and why you want to do things and from there actually everything around productivity becomes a lot easier because there is kind of performative productivity which is basically just looking like you're really busy and then there is to-do lists yeah to-do lists and and I, you know and I love all of that stuff I really, I'm a you know I've got my bullet journals I love a bit of calendar blocking I do all of that stuff but I do it because I kind of know what I'm trying to do to get at and I use it as a vehicle rather than productivity shouldn't be a destination in and of itself to go around being like oh, I'm a really productive person that like, well but to what end um because mm. I've I wrote, I wrote a piece for wide about people who like do kind of ex- very extreme productivity hacking and you know kind of want to be able to optimize their sleep so they can sleep the absolute sort of least amount of time possible but uh, you know so they can kind of get more hours out of their day and do all these things and actually what was very interesting is all of those people I spoke to, they were actually really laser focused on what it was they wanted to achieve. And they were using productivity um, to get there, which I found really interesting, rather than kind of people who are just like swigging fuel just for the sake of it. Um, it's or, just that weekly um, feature in Stylist magazine about what does your typical day look like? And there's, it is getting better, but for a long time it did seem, and I love Stylist, so, you know, no offense, but, you know, I get up at five and I run for 10k and I meditate and I have a smoothie it's just so annoying I find this and it's it's been a trend that's been around for years if not decades that our obsession with other people's routines and how other people do stuff and of course if Silas were to interview me of course I'd kind of say I'd, I'd obviously present my most ridiculously productive day but those are not your those are not sustainable true productivity is something that you is almost kind of it sounds so lame but it's like a way of life it needs to be sustainable it needs to be something you could do every day it's not pushing yourself to the absolute maximum and then the next day you can't do anything because otherwise you know what's the point yeah. um but yeah th- those um like you know I mean, I'm a very nosy person, so I love reading about other people's days. But but they're all far too perfect. Yeah, you feel a bit sick after you've read them. Yeah, exactly. Do you feel any fear in the sense that there's a part of you, I'm just projecting my fears onto you, <laughs> there's a little part of you always that says, I probably will get a staff job, going back to what we talked about, because the right job might come up and it might be a really great salary and it might take away all this fear and uncertainty of which there always is no matter how successful you are I don't know I honestly I think I'm now at a point where that staff job would have to be absolutely perfect Mm -hmm. and it would have to involve me 
pretty much never having to go into the office. <laughs> um, I don't I don't know. And also what I've really come to realise is I don't, I, I really, really prize variety way more than I realised I did. And I don't really know what job would give me the freedom to do as many different types of projects as I currently do. Just, I mean, even just kind of thinking about the fact that I started, yeah, maybe there'll be companies that will kind of be like, yeah, you can do a bit of this, you can do, but I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want a job that kind of said, you know, your job will consist of all of these different components. I almost want a job description that says, we'll just hire you and you can do what you want. I mean, no one's going to do that. Um, so I don't, I really don't know anymore. I, I do, ha- I, I do sometimes kind of have, you know, I have, I have those moments when, you know, when you worked at companies and sometimes you'd go into, and you'd go into the office and you'd just be having a really off day and you could just really coast by doing the absolute bare minimum and it wouldn't really matter. And like, you know, you'd, you'd go home, you'd go to bed early and you'd bounce back the next day. The problem when you're freelance is what you should really do on those days when you're freelance is just take the day off and write it off. But it's really hard to do that. It's the guilt thing as well. It's the guilt yeah. and you're chained to your desk and then you feel really bad. And it's in moments like that when I kind of wish, I do kind of wish I had a staff job because then I, um, <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a great advert for me as a, as a someone who's, you know, I, I wish I had a staff job because then I could go into the office and not do anything. <laughs> um, so, and, and that's not, that's really not a reason to, that's definitely not a good reason to take a job. So I don't know. I think I, I can't, I can't see... I can see what I do changing quite a lot. I can see myself sort of, I may end up like five, ten years from now, um, the different components of my career might look really different to how they do now. But I just can't see me in an office. Do you have earnings targets or do you more focus on what you want to do as opposed to what you make? I am trying really hard to focus more on what I want to do. I have earnings targets Uh, but I'm really I try to be really clear on why I have them so for example I have an earnings target for this financial year because I really want to be making a certain amount more than I did in my last staff job and I know that that is because I'm still processing all of the emotions that came up from my redundancy and if I can if I can kind of measure how I'm doing financially versus what I was earning in that old job I, I feel like that might kind of be quite a nice sort of way to close that chapter and does having targets like that which I think is a good thing does that compromise the ability to say no when work when well-paid work comes through that you don't want to do that's a really good question um I think it really depends because you know I think it's also I think I think it's fine to kind of have like months or quarters or even years where your focus might be purely financial for you know for there might be a really good reason for that like I I also I just I just don't think there should be any shame around wanting to make money especially when um, especially as a woman especially kind of you know a woman in their early 30s who like one day would maybe like to buy a house you know there are there can be really good reasons why you want to be making a specific amount of money um and I think it's fine to kind of sometimes think about things just in terms of bringing in more money. But yeah, it can be quite tricky. It can be, um, it can be kind of, you know, I do, I, I do find myself sometimes evaluating work as it comes in and thinking like, oh, you know, is this kind of, is this paying enough? But I do find that it's very rarely I'll, I'll sort of analyze it just in terms of the money. I always do, do kind of think about 
other stuff as well. In like what it brings you as well. Yeah, what it brings you is this project going to be fun? Have I enjoyed working with this client before? Is this like a good client, new client to take on? Um, all sorts of things. Mm. So, for someone who's again considering the leap, is there anything else you think is money related, or would you even say don't even think? The priv- if you have that privilege don't even think too much about the money but focus on what you want does your ultimate message come down in any way to money or is it not really to do with that uh it's it's kind of very connected to money and also really really not because I, i'm a real firm believer that um you know it is really important to kind of try and get on a path to financial freedom but i don't think financial freedom has anything to do with how much you earn it's about your it's about the role that money plays in your life and Money won't buy you happiness, but once you have once you have an emergency fund, once you've started saving for retirement, once you've started clearing out debts and kind of all that kind of stuff, suddenly money doesn't become this thing that you're worrying about all the time. And that's when you can start thinking about, you know, taking on projects that are more risky or doing a project just because it's a complete passion of yours. Um, I think it's I think it's really important to take your head out of the sand when it comes to money and and sort of analyse the role money plays in your life and sort of both both from a kind of like purely sort of like what is your financial situation all the way through to the emotional side of like, you know, what kind of feelings does money bring up for you? Um, and from there, things do get a bit easier. Mm-hmm. But my like... My ultimate advice for anyone who really like is kind of can't stop thinking about going freelance is to just do it and it will all work itself out. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. If it's something that, you know, if it's something that you really, really want to do, and especially if it's something you want to do because you want to you want to own you want to own what you know, your own career and kind of have that control over it. If you're a control freak control freak like me, then um, then yeah, freelancing is for you. Mm. That's really good advice. Thank you very much, Anna. Thank you very much for having me. Next, I speak to Emily Belly, who is the founder of VestPod, a company that focuses on financial events and education for women. And she's also the author of a book called You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich. And I'm going to speak to her about the biggest issues, money issues that freelancers have, such as pension, putting money aside for tax, and how to get paid. So talking about pensions, uh, I think it's a big responsibility for freelancers to actually think and save in their in their pensions. So if you have an employer, you're really lucky because they're going to take care of you. They will have a, a pension um, in place and you will have to contribute it and you will have a contribution from your employer and you'll also get the tax relief from the government. When you're a freelancer, it's your responsibility to go and open a personal pension and you can do that with um, most of the retail banks, uh, with some robo-advisors, with some uh, investment platforms. And once you have this personal pension opened, uh, you can start contributing into it. So the best way is to make sure you contribute monthly uh, by direct debit, because if you wait until the end of the year, that's usually when you also have to pay your taxes, uh, and it's going to be a big check to pay at the same time your taxes and your pension contribution. So ideally, you can uh, do monthly transfers into your pension. And what's going to happen is at the end of the year, 
your pension provider will look at how much money you've been putting into your, your pension uh, and they will give you the tax relief. Uh, so they will uh, pay on top of this your the taxes uh, you were you were supposed to pay on this on this income. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's really the, the first uh, point for freelancers. Yeah, because it is hard to know what you could put in if you leave it till the end of the year. Um, and then exactly it's hard also it's hard just when you have savings you don't really want to put it all in your pension you kind of think you kind of think of it as your money um but I guess it's a shift of mindset yeah and I think it's I mean pension is is one part of the equation uh but I guess when you are a freelancer and, and like anyone you need to save for different things and I tend to look more at like financial goals. So what do you want to achieve in life? And for me, it's really important that first of all, you start building up sort of an emergency fund. So have like maybe one month, a few months of, of savings on the side and you keep these in, in cash. Then maybe you start saving for um, short-term goals, medium-term goals. So do you want to buy a house in a few years? Do you want to pay for your child education? And at the same time, can you save into a pension? So I see it as having maybe different parts of money or different jars. So I know it's really, really hard to save money. But if you could save and split your savings into uh, into each of these pockets, I think that's really useful for the for the long term. Mm-hmm. I spoke to um, Anna Codriarado for this uh, episode as well about the difficulty of getting paid. So do you have any brief but top tips for making sure we get paid on time? Yeah, so this one is really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. And I also struggle myself. Um, I think the first thing for me I realized is like triple checking your invoices. Uh, so as soon as you want to send an invoice to your client, make sure you send it straight away uh, after you've delivered the work or you send it at the same time. Uh, you have your daily or hourly rate, time worked, uh, what you worked on, um, maybe VAT, payment term, bank details. So trying to be like super detailed uh, so don't give the, the the client the opportunity to delay the payment uh, because sometimes a week later they come back and they say oh, something is missing on your invoice so we can't pay you mm. uh, then send reminders so i tend to send like very friendly reminders um very early on do you uh, use the yeah, phrase sure, <laughs> do you use the phrase friendly reminder in the email because sometimes i do that <laughs> yeah, no, I do, this is a friendly reminder um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're still talking to a person, and, and it depends who are your clients. But uh, if if you deal with like small companies or startups, they don't necessarily have a finance department. Uh, so I guess you know they will be in charge of, of making your payment, getting it approved. So yeah, try to be try to be nice to them. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure it helps. Yeah. Um, I know somewhere. I mean, I've read somewhere that if you could ask for portion uh, of the invoice to be paid before like a deposit I know a lot of freelancers are fighting for that and I know I know Anna also is a, is a big fan of this I know it's hard uh, but if you work with big companies they can do that they have the money to do it uh, cash flow is not necessarily a problem so they should be able to maybe pay you pay you in advance mm-hmm. uh, and then if uh, your your payment um, hasn't been made or is really delayed then you can start uh, charging fees um, on Late top fees. of the invoice. Mm-hmm. I think it's you know eight percent of the fee on the Bank of England rate. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think this is 
you know, the last solution, but you should definitely do it and not be, be afraid of, of starting to charge if you're really not getting paid. Because the problem is, I see you, you're doing some work, your terms are like 30 days. If you wait another month, you start to have like cash flow issues, to be honest. Yeah. So I tend to set aside about 30% of my earnings to cover tax, national insurance, and student loan is always a bit of a surprise, even though it shouldn't be. Um, would you say that's the right amount to put aside? Yeah, that's what I that's what I had in mind. Uh, okay. That's what I do. Uh, I guess it varies depending on your income. So for some people, it's going to be less than that. For others, it's going to be more. Uh, but if you do a budget, so if you're new to freelancing, maybe you start with 30%. But if you're a bit more experienced, you can look at, you know, over a long period of time, so maybe over six months, uh, maybe up to a year. How did it go last year? How much... Uh, did you end up paying in taxes and you try to have a more accurate uh, number for taxes? But I think 30% is a, is a good starting point. Okay. So just um, what would be the other important things that we need to know if we're going freelance? Is there anything else you'd say? Yeah, I think for me, actually, one of the first things you, you, you can do when you go freelance is to separate your personal and business bank accounts. Uh, I know initially I was charging and paying everything on my current account. It really doesn't help in terms of bookkeeping, uh, doing your accounting, and when it comes to, you know, taxes or even like, you know, budgeting because you need a budget for your personal life. And I guess you need a budget also for your freelancing life. You will have different expenses for both. Uh, so I find it much easier to separate um, my money into into different accounts. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Maybe I should think about that. <laughs> um, but you need a certain level of profit, perhaps, before you separate them, or you think you should do that from the get-go? Uh, I mean, I mean, for me, I think you should do it from the get-go because okay. I, I mean, it, I find it really, really, uh, I mean, much easier to track uh, payments, to track invoices, uh, and also to track uh, expenses because there's some expenses you can deduct actually from your freelancing work if they're associated to your work. Uh, and that's going to be much easier unless you're really, really good at managing your own money and you can you can see the difference when you know by reading your bank accounts and stuff. And I think in terms of budgeting, it really helps because I have my personal budget. I know how much I'm actually paying myself and how much um, I'm actually saving for taxes. Uh, from my from my freelancing uh, gig so I, I think it makes life easier cool that's really helpful thank you so much Emily thank you so that's it for episode six and season one of an honest account thank you so much to everyone who has rated reviewed subscribed commented tweeted liked shared etc all of the above this podcast it's really been a massive help Thank you also to Moneybox for sponsoring and making this all possible. And in the meantime, you can email me at contact at anhonestaccount.co.uk. I'm also on Twitter at honest underscore account underscore. So please get in touch and see you soon.